Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with John Steed about utilizing data visualization and GIS in the workplace. John Steed, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, John. Very, very glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to be with you. I'm, I'm excited to have a nice conversation. Uh, we're going to have a really uh, fun exploration looking at utilizing data visualizations in the workplace. But I know you're also going to tell us a little bit about uh, GIS and, and developing teams and, and people and careers in that field. So I'm excited for that as well. As we get started, I wanted to share John's bio with everybody. Since he came to Tesla in 2014, John Steed has been the visionary and driving force behind Tesla's geospatial services department. Under his direction, the department has focused on leveraging sophisticated solutions for a myriad of complex problems faced by his clients. John has a passion for being technically creative, solving real-world problems, and troubleshooting existing systems, all in the context of supporting mission-driven results through geospatial solutions. John's diverse track record of international experience serves him well in understanding a wide range of client contexts and needs. His background includes collaborating with renewable energy nonprofits in the Andes and Amazon of Peru and Ecuador, managing UNHCR, uh, implementing partner organizations across West Africa, and assisting U.S. government agencies' collaboration efforts on behalf of international programs in the United States. When he's not in the office, you can find John putting his spatial skills to work on home repair and custom renovation projects or satisfying his love for the outdoors by hiking, surfing, or free diving. Um, That is amazing. Uh, I'm I love everything about it, though I'm not sure I could ever uh, join you in the free diving area, but uh, that's that's tremendous. Uh, as we get started, anything else that you would like to share with listeners by way of your background, your personal context, and really even just how you got into your career and, and the work that you're doing? Sure. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and thanks again for the opportunity today. Um, you know, my, my career has been uh, very scattered, and it, it took me a while to end up where I'm at. Um, but I, I, I do have to say that like what you mentioned with the international development and the humanitarian aid aspect, you know, really sort of shaped where I am now and sort of shaped my focus of GIS. So, I mean, my main, my main focus and what I do every day is, uh, is geographic information systems, uh, making maps, uh, visualizations, infographics that help clients sort of understand situational context around the, the work that they're doing. And I have to say, I came into it from a very, uh, very, very strange direction. I, after college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, I thought, you know, maybe the Peace Corps was the right direction to go in. And uh, I was with a recruiter and I, I asked them, what, what do you think would sort of help me stand out in you know, the pile of applicants for, uh, for other Peace Corps candidates? And they said, you should take some, some GIS courses. And so 
you know, my background had been more in, along the trades, you know, mechanical maintenance, that sort of thing. So when I first got into it, I, I, I had no understanding of, you know, computers, technology, like how to be uh, applying geospatial concepts to things. And it was just way over my head. And I didn't see a way of applying it. But when I went to grad school, I ended up meeting a professor who was teaching GIS courses. And I got in really close with them and they helped me to understand sort of how this could be applied to, to real world problems, especially in the context of international development, humanitarian aid, and that sort of thing. And so I ended up getting involved in GIS from that direction. And it's been incredibly fruitful and really interesting to sort of uh, see the, the different ways that you can that you can take GIS and then apply it and and really help solve real world problems. So this week, the the largest uh, conference for GIS, the, the Esri user conference is taking place. They have oftentimes when they have it in person, it's like 20,000 attendees. I would guess that it's probably 50,000 plus attendees. So, you know, there's everyone around the world that's involved in this industry is coming together and, and working on this right now. Everything, everyone from like city planners to uh, you know, to, to lay people like myself that are doing this sort of for small companies, sort of, you know, helping, uh, helping other industries sort of with, with the problems that they have. But, you know, in a nutshell, I, I just wanted to point out, it's been a very circuitous path that I've taken to get here, but I think it's, it's really fruitful and I, I've learned a lot in the process and I've, I've been able to help teams, uh, apply that knowledge to help them, you know, better themselves. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I mean, I only have very uh, tangential kind of connections to the GIS space. And I've worked, I, I'm a professor, I also do consulting work. So I work at the university, I've worked on teams with um, others that do GIS stuff. Uh, and it's always added a huge layer of just really great uh, context and, and opportunity, you know, for any research project that we're working on. I'm working on one big project that's very interdisciplinary, for example, um, looking at a local lake here in Utah, that's, you know, not being well utilized, not being well taken care of. And we're looking at it from all these different angles, all these different disciplines. And the GIS has been hugely beneficial on my end, you know, I'm looking at the business side of things, um, just as an example, anyways, uh, I'm just giving a, a, an extra little, uh, plug for, yeah, GIS is super cool. It's super beneficial and, and definitely everyone should be looking into it, uh, ways to enhance what your organization's doing and, and what your, you know, the impact that you're trying to make in the world. Sure. And it's, and it's beyond just, you know, the application in terms of what you're talking about with like looking at lakes, uh, uh using resources, um, seeing how our businesses interact geospatially. I mean, it's like, you know, everybody's using it on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of just, you know, where are they going? You know, they're using like Google Maps to figure out how to get there, right? It's totally integrated into our, our daily lives. There's uh, this discussion now of, you know, um, uh, I can't remember the, the, the term for it, but, you know, information of things, IoT, right? So, you know, people have Echobees, Nests, things like that. And those are all geospatially connected now too. So you can leverage your own, like what's happening in your own house and figure out how it relates to the environment around your house and in your local community. And you can compare your house to other houses in the region in terms of, uh, you know, how you're, you're leveraging your energy efficiency and things like that. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. So tell me just a little bit more about 
I, I know you do a lot of work in developing people in the career in the GIS career space and, and developing teams. What what goes into that? What have you done in that space? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, right now I work with a team of approximately uh, six people at the company that I'm at, Tesla Government Incorporated. And, you know, when I first came into the role that I that I'm in now, I sort of built out the department and then I, I had to hire on a, a team and try to figure out how to, to slot these individuals into a role that could then support that team and support the growth of the company. And so we have we have a number of individuals from, you know, uh, cartographers, graphic designers to uh, geospatial analysts to automators, you know, Python experts. And I think one of the fun things for me has been seeing a lot of people coming from um, fresh out of college or with a little bit of work experience and then and then putting them into an environment where they are working, having to work in a team that is not, you know, it's not a bunch of people that that have the same background, have the same experience, have the same education, but, you know, it's very multidisciplinary. And I think one of the things that I've learned that's been very beneficial for me is that when you have a team that is multidisciplinary like that, uh, it's it's a constant learning environment where everybody's building on the skills that they have from from their peers. And I also personally believe it's a lot more of a fun environment to work in because it's not static. You know, it's not like like I said before, a bunch of geospatial uh, analysts who are you know looking down at a computer all day trying to identify stuff in a raster map. So that's that's so that's one of the things that that I've learned, or maybe two of the things in, in what I just mentioned to you that I've learned. Um, another thing has been uh, connecting. There's such a broad community for GIS now, and there's so many different groups out there, and there's so many uh, young professionals networks that plugging plugging the team that I work on into those networks. I think has been really uh, innovative for them in their professional trajectories, I guess you could say. So that, that's been another thing that I've learned that doing that early, I believe is beneficial to their growth and also to the growth yeah. of the team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we, we often forget, especially with younger um, workers in the labor force who are just starting off. I mean, they're looking, they're hungry for mentorship. They're, they're hungry for um, being developed and for feedback. And, and, you know, a lot of times, leaders, managers and organizations, you know, they're busy, they're doing all sorts of things. And so, you know, they may not have the time to devote towards developing their people, even though I, I would suggest that's probably the number one thing you're supposed to do as a leader. But even if, you know, if, if that's, if they're, they don't feel like they have that time to prioritize that, connect them at, at a minimum, connect them into these types of um, groups, uh, these organizations, these networks, that they can find other opportunities uh, to really engage, right. And to learn and to grow. And, and it's going to, it's going to benefit them, of course, but it's going to benefit your team. It's going to benefit your organization. So we really don't want to overlook that, uh, that piece. You know, sometimes I hear um, leaders bemoan millenn young millennial and Gen Z uh, individuals in the workforce. And they, they always say, you know, things like, oh, they're, they, they're so entitled. They just, they, they feel like they, they want to make an impact right now. And they want to, um, they're, they're just constantly trying to get feedback and I don't have time for that. And, and I, when I hear that, I'm just like, well, I mean, that's kind of what leaders are supposed to be doing. So maybe we should start thinking a little bit more about that. 
No, I, I completely agree. And, and also, I mean, I haven't, I haven't felt that about uh, the team that I'm on. I mean, I could, I could see, you know, I, I, I see that stereotype. I hear that stereotype, but I feel like when you're engaged with the people that you work with, they become more engaged in the work that they're doing and they become more appreciative of the job and it becomes more than just a job, you know? Um, yeah, I completely agree. And I think another thing is that leaders are supposed to be, are, are not just supposed to be doing the administrative day-to-day -day stuff. They're supposed to be like, uh, like snow plows. They're supposed to get obstacles out of the way so that the people that they work with can succeed, you know? And so you have to have that sort of synergistic relationship with with your team members if you don't then the whole team doesn't succeed and you know when you build on people's professional trajectories when you build them out to be better than when they first arrived at the company when they leave the company and they're still in the same industry the industry is better as a whole you know and you can have you know uh business connections as a result of that anyway so i, th I think it's yeah yeah I, I think there's a lot of benefits and positives to it yeah absolutely well, so we could go down this track, but I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, data visualizations as a tool, how we can utilize that more within organizations to enhance what we're doing in our teams and, you know, our products and services and just uh, helping us be more, you know, impactful and productive as a whole. Um, so why, let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what you do with data visualization and, and some of the, the ways that you've seen that making an impact. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of what we do with data visualization is so we're, we're a knowledge management company, right? We help uh, different organizations leverage their data more effectively and then share their data with other organizations that they're working with. So uh, one of the primary contracts that we work on facilitates information sharing between different government agencies who are working on complex crises around the world. And they, they work with other uh, partner nations. And so these are like agencies that oftentimes in the U.S. don't even talk to each other. They don't even really know that, that each other are working in the same areas, you know, in another country. And so <laughs> I find that 
one of the one of the greatest uh, impacts that I see that that I feel good about is when you know two people that are working for different agencies in the same location learn about each other and then start working together. You know that's wonderful. But my team, very specifically, what we do is we help take their data and then open source data that that we research and then uh, provide data visualization products. So uh, most of the time that's in the form of web maps, dashboards, that sort of thing. Uh, but we also create static map products that can then be you know, printed out like as hard maps and used as, as briefing aids or things like that. Um, and sort of some examples of seeing successes on that, I can think of, I can think of a couple off the top of my head. So one was when I first started working at the company, we were working with some civil affairs teams and some state department teams that were working on the ground in Turkey on the Syrian refugee crisis. And they were trying to figure out how to get aid across the border from, from Turkey into Syria. And you know, as you can remember back in 2015, it was a very fluid environment, right? So uh, control was shifting hands constantly, battles were erupting in different parts of the country. And so what we did is we worked really closely with them on a daily basis and we would figure out, you know, where the border crossings were, you know, who uh, was in control of the border crossings at that time, whether it was like, you know, the, the Syrian government or if it was, you know, one of the rebel groups, ISIS, the Kurds, et cetera. And then if the border crossing was open and then, uh, you know, any other information about that. And so we'd create daily, almost daily products uh, that we could then host on our website and they could gain access to, to sort of understand the, the fluid nature of that crisis. And then they would use that in terms of their planning. So, so that's one thing. And I saw that as a great success, you know, I mean, coordinating really closely, taking um, textual data, turning into a visual representation, and then giving that back to them so that they could use that for briefings and, and planning and mission success, et cetera. Um, and then another one was we were working with uh, a CDC colleague on the polio crisis in, um, in Nigeria. So, you know, wild polio has been pretty much eradicated around the world, but there's been a couple hot spots that are sort of hanging in there. One is in, I, I believe it's the Pakistan-Afghanistan border, and the other was uh, Nigeria, um, sort of in that northern sort of Lake Chad region. And so we were working with them on uh, polio campaign, like a vaccination campaign, and trying to figure out how to gain access to specific areas within that Lake Chad region within Nigeria. And uh, we were leveraging some, some imagery. And they were trying to figure out, you know, if people were going to these places or if, if roads were open or, or whatever. And they got a report from somebody that the road was closed and they couldn't get through there. We were able to, to help them find imagery that showed that the road indeed had been open. And so that campaign you know, they didn't, that individual didn't go on that campaign to, to work on vaccinating that area. And this individual was able to say, hey, the road was open, you need to go in order to get that campaign moving. And it was just, you know, just that quick by taking, you know, just a, just an image, a, a, you know, a satellite image of the earth and being able to leverage it in such a way to help villagers so that they could get vaccinated against a disease that is so terrible. So. Yeah, th those are great examples. And I love uh, the social impact of what you're doing, um, how we can leverage that data in a new way, how the visualization really helps us understand it in a new way. And, and I also just love the interdepartmental kind of collaborations that can occur. Uh, 
we really need to get better at collaborations. We need to get better at breaking down silos and more, you know, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary work in organizations or across government agencies or whatever. And honestly, most organizations are pretty darn bad at that. Um, They just get so siloed. And so one of the things I love about GIS stuff and data data visualization generally is that it, it really does the, the illustrative uh, elements of the data visual data visualization really allows us the shared language to be able to find connection points where maybe before it was more abstract and, and people couldn't quite see it or feel it. They knew in principle that there should be connection, but they didn't really know what that meant. Um, but, but now we're kind of breaking. I see this as one way to break down those barriers so that yeah. we really can work more collaboratively. Yeah, you know, and I think I I always think back to to where I began with GIS. What they always show you is the first the first map or the first use of GIS was uh, was the Broad Street Pump in London, right? Looking for uh, the outbreak of typhoid. Um, was it? No, no, it wasn't typhoid. It was uh, it was like a dysentery or something like that. Cholera, I believe, right? And uh, and John Snow, you know, made a map of all the the pumps and the outbreaks in the area. And he was able to see this correlation between this one, this one uh, well, this one pump, which was the Broad Street pump. And it was the first use of, of GIS, first application of GIS back in the 1800s that we know about. Maybe it was before that, I don't, I don't remember, but yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it is very multidisciplinary. Yeah, so, so what would you suggest to leaders, you know, listening to this and like, well, GIS sounds cool. I don't really know how to do it. I don't know what that would really mean for me or my team. Um, what, what's like an easy way to start kind of getting your feet wet, better understanding, um, data GIS specifically data visualization more generally. And, you know, what, what can leaders in organizations start to do to utilize that better? Yeah, that's, that's a really tough question that you just, uh, pinpointed right there. Um, that's something that, that people in the GIS field have been working on for a really long time. And I've, I've actually been working on for a really long time when I was, uh, uh, when I was in Africa working in uh, humanitarian aid, um, I was working in the Malian refugee crisis. I was working with uh, camp management, uh, community services, and food distribution. And we were in a number of camps in Burkina Faso. We were also working in protection services in Mali. That means when people, when refugees go back to their, their country of origin, uh, there, are, there are service deliveries that can aid those individuals if they have specific needs, like uh, if they have uh, disabilities or if they're single mothers or things like that. And we could identify all of these individuals, the services that they were getting, um, and, and technically where they lived within camps, cause they were supposed to have like, you know, a location within a camp, but nobody was mapping it. Right. And then when they left the country and were going back, they would have to leave what's called their attestation card, which is their refugee card, um, before they left to go back to their country of origin. So we knew when they were going back, but this information wasn't getting back to, uh, to Mali, to, to our organization in Mali or UNHCR in Mali. And so I thought like, this is a GIS problem right here. You know, you can pinpoint all the information where people are located, who needs what, where they're going, um, when they left, like the, the timing of it as well. You can send all this information back to your teams there and you can connect all the dots and you can make, make sure that service delivery is happening effectively 
from you know the time that they're refugees getting food distribution in one country to the time that they're going back and how they're getting that continuation of services in their home country. And I tried to sell this to leadership, to uh, UNHCR and also to the organization I was working with. And what I got from them was, these, this is a great idea. This is a fantastic plan. Where's the money going to come from? How are you going to do this? And the, what I was thinking the whole time was this pays for itself. <laughs> you know, like you do this now, it's a drop in the bucket and it pays for itself because there's wasted services happening all the time. So, you know, I, I learned a valuable lesson there. And so this is something that I think about now all the time when I'm thinking about how do I sell this up? You know, and the biggest thing that I can that I can think of is you always try to figure out who will support you and they have to be in a leadership position and then how to get them to back you up, because oftentimes you won't be able to do it yourself. You need them to back you up. So um, when I try to show these things to to leaders, I try to leverage um, pre previous examples of success and then show those examples to those leaders and say, this is something that we can do. You know, it's not going to look like this. It's going to look different. It's going to look like what we're trying to do, but, but this can be the outcome for you. And I mean, hopefully if their ears are open, that works for you. And if you have, and if you have that other person, that's, that's your uh, stakeholder supporting you, then you have more of a metric of success there. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And it, it, it is a tricky thing. Um, I, I'm part of a project uh, at the university this is a, a inward facing university facing visualization tool that a team of us put together. And like you just said, like, it seems like a no brainer to us. Like, of course we should be utilizing this. It's, it's integrating all these different um, data points that can really help us in a lot of ways. And yet, you know, selling it up the line has, has been a real challenge and, and trying to get further implementation. Um, and so we can never forget about that, no matter how cool the technology is, no matter how cool the system is, yeah, ultimately, you know, we have to convince people and we have to sell people on it. Otherwise, it's it's not going to take effect. And so that's kind of what one thing we've been wrestling with um, on that team. And it, I I resonated very well with you as you were describing that challenge that you faced. Well, John, it has been a real pleasure. I note the time. I recognize we're getting close to the end of our time together. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about the work that you're doing, and give us the last word on the topic for today. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Uh, so you can find out more about, about me and the, the company I work for, Tesla Government Incorporated, at teslagovernment.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, John Michael Steed. Um, and the last word on GIS, you know, you're using it every single day, even if you don't think about it, it's everywhere around you. It is at this point, it's like technology. It's like your computer. It is ubiquitous. So there's a value in it. And I think, uh, at this point, you know, if, uh, if you're not in front of the curve, you're behind it. So get involved. Excellent. Thank you, John. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out to get connected, find out more about what John can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches 
maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.